0: It is a personal joy for me this morning as we return to the Gospel According to Matthew, continuing through our verse-by-verse series. This is really what gets me excited throughout the week, just studying the Word of God and being able to bring this to you. And so today we begin the next division of the Gospel According to Matthew as we examine the authority of Jesus over sickness, over nature, over man-made tradition, and even over demons we're going to find throughout this course of these next two chapters. This theme of authority really began, though, starting back in, ver- in chapter 5, as uh, really it began with the Sermon on the Mount, as Matthew 7 concludes by saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. So Jesus has been teaching with great authority through the Sermon on the Mount from chapter five through chapter seven. And now, he's, um, and now he's demonstrating his authority through these healings and through these miracles that will be taking place. Almost as if to say, if you didn't believe he had the authority to teach the way that he did, he's now gonna demonstrate through miracles He absolutely does have that authority and authority over all kinds of other things in the meantime. So that being said, why, why did Jesus perform miracles at his coming? I mean, theologically speaking, couldn't he have just been born, grow up and go right to the cross and forgive us of our sins? Couldn't he have done that? What's with all the extra stuff that he did? Well, first of all, because Scripture said that he would. Isaiah chapter 35 said that the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Promise of what would happen when the Messiah came. And so when someone came around doing miracles like that, they would know that the Messiah would come that he wouldn't just come mysteriously in the night, but he would be visibly seen for all that he did. After all, that's what John the Baptist did when he sent his disciple with questions, asking if Jesus really was the Messiah in Matthew chapter 11. We'll get to that in, uh, in some time. But what did Jesus tell him? He said, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus is basically quoting Isaiah 35, saying, hey, what was promised is happening. That's all the assurance that you're going to need. And the second reason why Jesus did miracles is really tied to the first, because God would often use miracles all throughout even the Old Testament to confirm his message and his messengers. Think about it. Why did God send the ten plagues to Egypt? through Moses, what was to confirm that the God of Israel was with Moses and to confirm to Pharaoh and his armies, I mean it when I say, let my people go. Kind of that exclamation point. I know what I'm saying. Furthermore, why did God do signs through Elijah and Elisha in the book of Kings? Well, similarly, they were, God was confirming their message. They were sent to the idolatrous nation of Israel who had backslidden where they were indistinguishable from the pagan nations around them. And God was showing them that God was with their message and their call to this nation to repentance. But then when Jesus came on the scene, his miracles were even greater and more numerous than any other time in biblical history. And of course, why that is, is because his message was the most important. He's not saying the Messiah is coming anymore. He's saying, no, the Messiah is here. I have arrived. There's no more important message than that. So Jesus came with the greatest miracles coming alongside him, confirming he was the Messiah. Coming with all the credentials that the Bible said that he would, including miracles. I mean, that's a hard one to fake, right? I mean, anyone can say that they're the Messiah, but the Bible said the Messiah would come with a couple of things, not least of which miracles and some 300 other prophecies. (laughs) You know, I heard this story of a man, I think it was in the 80s, who was going around saying he was the Messiah. And some people actually believed him, but some people were wise and discerning and confronted him and said, okay, so you're the Messiah, huh? Just out of curiosity, where were you born? Oh, I was born in Detroit. I'm sorry, you know, the Bible says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But you know what? Hold on. Let, let, let's, let's humor this for a second. Have you done any miracles lately? Perhaps. Well, this one time I got the first parking spot in the Walmart on a Saturday. Can't count that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Tempting though that be. So, moving forward, it's, it's interesting to see that the very first specific miracle Jesus did in the New Testament, at least as far as page numbers go, is the healing of this leper. You see, the term leprosy referred to many different skin conditions at the time, but if you had maybe what we would call true leprosy, what modern physicians will call Hansen's disease, you can look that up later... Um, It was basically a death sentence. Even into the Middle Ages, if you were diagnosed with leprosy, as we understand it, your family would have a funeral for you while you're still alive. Because you were basically dead. And that's what leprosy was. You were essentially dying from the inside out while you're still alive. It would start with just a loss of sensation at the skin level. You would lose your feeling. But then it would go deeper. The muscles underneath the skin would begin to deteriorate and die. And because you didn't feel anything, you couldn't feel pain. You would be bumping into things and not noticing it. You would be, you would cut yourself, be bleeding, not even notice it. Ulcerations would form all over your body. Um, to the point where even you, Especially during that time, rats would even chew on you while you were sleeping and you wouldn't notice. Yeah, that's uncomfortable, but it happened. Until eventually the finger, the hand, the foot would eventually just drop off. That's an uncomfortable thought, but maybe we can understand why seeing a leper in the first century would have been so horrifying for so many people. Why it seemed that the, why a cleansing of a leper like this would be so astonishing for the people around it to see it. I don't try to frame this so grotesquely to, you know, make you guys uncomfortable, but to show you guys what a picture this must have been for the disciples to see, for this leprous man to approach him. And as we get to the end of the story, how amazing it is that even this man could receive healing. But before we get there, it should be said the the communal repercussions for leprosy were perhaps almost as bad as the physical ones. Here's what I mean. You were immediately ejected from the community as soon as you were diagnosed with leprosy. You were forced to live outside of the places of Israel only with other lepers. Because they're the only ones that aren't going to Catch your disease, they already have it. And everywhere you ha- everywhere you went, anywhere you tried to go to get food, you had to keep a minimum of six feet from people, in some cases over a hundred feet, crying out everywhere you go, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine how lonely that could have been? Cast aside from everyone that you know, not being able to go anywhere near your loved ones. And everywhere you go, you face the shame of having to admit, unclean, unclean. Takes a while to let that set in. It's hard to imagine something so horrible. Not to mention while you're dying from the inside out. For all these reasons, leprosy is a regretfully perfect, visible representation of what sin does to us on the inside. Spiritually speaking, because left untreated, both sin and leprosy lead to death. Sin, cause, too, causes us to lose our feeling towards others and towards God. Sin causes us weakness. Sin causes shame. Sin causes the ejection from our fellowship with God. Think about it, going back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. What happened when Adam and Eve sinned against God? They too were ejected from the garden. To live at, forced to live outside of the place God had prepared for them living in the loneliness of this world that we have now populated. But ejected from God's presence because of their sin as the leper was ejected from their community because of their leprosy. There's a regretful number of parallels here. And I say this so that when we see Jesus heal a leper of his physical ailment, that gives us a picture of what Jesus also does for us on the inside, spiritually speaking, the spiritual healing that Jesus gives us into his parallel. I'll unpack that more in just a minute. But just diving into the text again, verse 1 tells us that Jesus came down from the mountain, uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, the great crowds, of course, were following him, Verse two picks up saying, behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Before we go any further, how interesting is that? He already knows that Jesus has the ability to heal him. How did he know that? Well, maybe he heard about the miracles that were taking place before the Sermon on the Mount at the end of chapter four. Or maybe he had been familiar with the scriptures and how the Messiah would heal the lepers. I can only speculate, but he knows that Jesus can heal him already. But the question wasn't if Jesus was able in his mind. What was it? Was he willing? Was Jesus willing to heal him? Now, that's the question I think most people still struggle with. Is Jesus willing to help me? You know, I've heard it said that it's easier to believe in miraculous power than it is to believe in miraculous love. You know, you can... The scientific evidence these days points towards a creator God. You know, when you press somebody hard enough, you know, you don't need to be well-schooled in Christian apologetics to know, hey, all of this had to come from somewhere. Something had to set off the Big Bang. Something had to form everything exactly perfectly for life to exist. You know, you you can ask those questions and really press somebody into at least admitting, you know what, this world doesn't make sense without God. But... You can't scientifically prove that that God loves you. And that's something many people do struggle with. And I, I'll give it to them. Divine love makes no sense to the person who's not familiar with the scriptures. <laughs> that why would Jesus, the God of all creation, love me so much to go to the cross and die for me? That's an that's a large claim. Why would Jesus have mercy on me despite all of my sins and rebellion against him? (laughs) Well, that's why we call it amazing grace. Because if you don't say, wow, when you first understand the grace of God, you might not understand it yet. Because there is a wow factor to the grace of God. God is love, as 1 John tells us. It's the core of his attributes of which everything else stems from. Romans 5.8 even reminds us that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, showing that the cross was the ultimate display of God's love towards humanity. So actually, let me hit this from a different angle. Who are the only people who didn't receive healing from Jesus? It's a tough question. The only people who didn't receive healing from Jesus are the people who didn't come to Jesus for healing. You will not, you can search the scriptures. Every person that came to Jesus for a healing was healed. Multitudes were healed from him. He, could, he was eradicating disease from Israel. It didn't matter how many ailments you had. It didn't matter the severity. He healed dead people. <laughs> there was nothing he couldn't heal. That gives us an idea of who he was able to help. He took care of all people who came to him. The only people that didn't receive the healing were the people who didn't have The faith to come to him. It wasn't how much faith that they had, like some people erroneously teach. It was, did you believe that Jesus could heal you? Did you come to Jesus? If you had even just that little bit of faith of, hey, let me go to Jesus. Let me see what he can do in my life. He did something. He did that to many. And to this day, the truth of what Jesus said in John 3, uh, my mistake, John 6, 37 applies that whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Like I said, Jesus could have eliminated disease from Israel altogether if all had come to him, but all did not come. Similarly, Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to purchase every soul out of hell but yet people will still go there because only those who come to him for that remedy are healed as well. So to answer the question that both this leper asked and many many people today struggle with as well, yes, Jesus is willing to heal you. He is willing to have compassion of you. He is willing to heal you of the worst malady we all face of our sins. The question is, are you willing to come to him for that healing? Speaking primarily of the spiritual sense, we'll talk about if the, we can expect divine healing next week. But the question is, are you willing to come to him? Are you willing to accept his offer, to repent of your sins and believe in what he did on the cross for you? That's the, that is the only question of whether or not Jesus will heal you. Will you Come to him. I got ahead of myself and skipped verse three, actually. (laughs) It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Guys, that's something that not even modern medicine can do. It's been 2,000 years since this text was written, and we still cannot cleanse someone of their leprosy. Now, as I was reading up on it, I found out we have antibiotics, we can stop the disease from progressing, but we can't restore the muscle once it's been destroyed. We can't restore the skin to the point where it's perfect again. It will—it would still be disfigured if it had progressed bad enough. Granted, if we can catch it early enough, someone who has been diagnosed with true leprosy, again, Hansen's disease, if you Google it, can live a very ordinary, normal life if it's caught early enough, but we can't restore it, the parts that have been devastated. But it says Jesus cleansed him, completely restoring him is what that's inferring. His skin would have been better than most of ours, I'd argue. Taking the leper who, again, you can imagine the the, the disfigurement of this man and making it, Smooth as a newborn baby, perhaps. How beautiful is that? And in the same way, guys, don't miss the parallel. Jesus offers us the same level of healing internally for each of us. That when God looks at the sinner who has repented and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, you are not just, okay, we'll sneak this one in, (laughs) into heaven. No, you are completely cleansed on the inside, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. God looks at you. He doesn't see us for the dirty, rotten sinners. that We know that we are, but he sees only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he is imputed within us. That is such a beautiful, precious truth. And whatever you guys do, Don't make the mistake of countless other lepers that existed during the time of Jesus and said, oh, I can't approach Jesus. I'm unclean. I can't go and approach him. Because the truth is the opposite. No, you go to Jesus and he will make you clean. Don't stay at a distance because you think you're unclean or unredeemable. No, we come to the one who with a word can make us clean again. So whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever secret sin you think you can't bring to God, that's the very thing you need to bring to Him today. For some of you, something even now as I'm talking is coming to mind. Some secret sin that you've been harboring and haven't fully left behind, you haven't fully repented of, you haven't said, Lord, this is yours, take it from me. And don't worry, I'm not... I can't read your minds. I don't know who you are. God doesn't speak to me in that way. But I do know how the Holy Spirit works. I do know that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and leads us to righteousness, not out of condemnation, but kindness, the scriptures tell us. So if that's you, if something's on your mind, don't leave here without laying it in a spiritual sense here at the altar. Leave that in the hands of Jesus Christ. Confess it to him. Believe that he went to the cross for that very sin. Ask for forgiveness and he will restore you in the same way he completely restored this leper. What a beautiful truth. My time's gone for me, but finally in verse four, it says, Jesus, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a proof to them. So why did Jesus say to go to the priests? Well, you might have picked it up in our first reading this morning. It's because that's what the Bible says to do. Uh, Leviticus 14 tells people to do that. I find it interesting that so many people say Jesus was a radical. That's true in some sense when he was up against the man-made religious traditions in a common establishment, But he was far more of a traditionalist than most people give him credit for. He, a, A true radical would have been like, get rid of the law. Let's get this away from us. We don't need this anymore. That's what radicals do. No, Jesus upheld the law. He always encouraged people to follow what the scriptures say, never contradicting it. So there's something that needs to be said about that. But furthermore, showing himself to the priest in accordance with the law would have allowed him to be restored to the community that he had once been ostracized from. Think about it. He would no longer be considered unclean. The shame of his leprosy had been taken away. So, and now he could be brought back into that very community. Do you see the parallel? This is what gets me excited, that this is a reversal of the sin of Adam and Eve. This is a reversal of them being put out of the garden, but being invited back in to God's presence. That's a wonderful thing. That's a truth worth meditating on. But finally, Jesus says, say nothing to anyone, because Jesus' time had not yet been His time to be revealed had not yet come. And he was to do this for a proof to them. He's even revealing himself to the priests and their religious establishment that would reject him as the Messiah. But he even left them with a witness. So in conclusion, Jesus taught with authority. He has authority over diseases, including the worst of them like leprosy. He has the authority to forgive sins for everyone who places themselves under his authority as Savior and Lord. Don't leave here until you have the assurance that you have done that for yourself today. Thanks be to God. Amen.